Good morning and uh, welcome to the last Sunday of Advent. So glad to see you again. Uh, we are uh, once again in the Gospel of Luke, this time chapter 2, it's verses 1 through 20. As we continue studying Luke's account of the first Christmas, learning uh, about how Christmas brings joy to uh, our worlds. And so I want to start this morning with a question, and it's this. How many of you love to watch Christmas movies? Would you just raise your hands? A lot of us here. It looks like most of us here. Um, I, I wonder also, how many of you hate Christmas movies, but you love someone who loves them? I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, yes. Well, um, Lots of us have favorite Christmas movies, I think, and, and some of them really are classics. But there's also, have you noticed some Christmas movies, they, they get played like every year and you kind of find yourself wondering, why do we like these movies? <laughs> uh, I, I wonder if anyone else has ever wondered about this one, A Charlie Brown Christmas. Any Charlie Brown fans here? Lots of you. Uh, I, I would say this is a, a really great, great uh, movie. But honestly, I have no idea wh why it works. <laughs> um, think about it. It's a little strange, actually. It's kind of weird. Um, and that's exactly what the network thought when Charles Schultz presented it to them. There's some stories out there you could read about this. Uh, they, they watched it, and they thought, no one is going to watch this. And uh, if you stop to think about what it's like, you can see maybe where they were coming from at first. It's a cartoon, and back in the 60s when this was released, all cartoons had laugh tracks, but not this one. And it, it really didn't even have a lot of you know, punchlines. It's, it's something you watch, and it's kind of like, well, this is sort of amusing, but, but is it really funny? I, I, don't, I don't know. The characters were children, but they talk like adults, the main character was a depressed eight-year-old. <laughs> and then the, the climax, actually, of the whole thing happens when a kindergartner gets on stage and recites from the King James Bible. See, when the network executives all saw it, they all thought there is no way at all that this works. Now, granted, it does have an amazing soundtrack. Some people say it's the greatest uh, Christmas album of all time, but, but that's also kind of part of uh, the weirdness because who, who makes a kid movie and uh, you, you have the background music, it's melancholy jazz piano. It's just kind of different, right? Very strange. It, it shouldn't work, but for some reason, it does. And I think the reason the Charlie Brown Christmas movie works is because it's such an honest movie. Uh, the undercurrent in the story is about how fake Christmas has become. And this was true in the mid-60s. It, it's still true today. What bothers Charlie Brown is all the, the lights and the fake trees and the consumerism. He just wants something real. Maybe you feel today kind of the same way. The song that everybody sings says it's the most wonderful time of the year, but like for you, when it gets quiet, when you get honest with yourself, you kind of feel a little like Charlie Brown. It's like he said to Linus, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I, I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. And maybe that's you. 
you wonder sometimes, is this all Christmas is? And you look and you can easily see through the hype of a consumer Christmas. It all feels empty. You see through the the kind of cheesiness of the nostalgic kind of old-fashioned sheen. We we try to put on things and how it never delivers, kind of like how we always try to make Christmas about snow, you know, right here in Tracy, California. That's kind of strange, right? Maybe you look and you just see through all of the curated kind of fake images on social media. And after you've seen all of the inauthentic, phony images, pictures that are out there, you just ask, is that all there is? And what I find interesting is that when Linus gets on stage and recites scripture, the passage he chooses to tell the true meaning of Christmas is the passage where the angels show up. And it's pretty interesting because in the Bible, That is actually one of the main jobs of angels, to to reveal reality, to cut through the illusions, to pull back the curtain and show us what is actually true. The passage Linus recited is actually the one we're gonna be looking at today. And so if you haven't done it yet, go ahead and get your Bible open to Luke 2. Today we're talking about angels and Angels show up a lot in the Christmas story. Maybe you've noticed the last uh, two weeks, every week in this series, we see an angel. And, and today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at angels in more depth, what the Bible says, but not just in Luke 2, uh, a little broader than that, because a lot of people um, are, are ask questions about this. But before we get too far, I wanna kind of sidebar for a moment and, and address uh, some people. Maybe it's you who are thinking right now, do you, do you guys like really believe in angels? Because that's just weird. And if that's you, I wanna ask you three questions. First is this, if you believe in God and the vast majority of people in our society do, then why not angels? See, believing in angels is really not that big of a jump. Um, You already believe in one invisible supernatural being who impacts your life. It's not too hard to think that, that maybe there's more. If God made everything that you see, isn't there a chance he made some creatures that you, you cannot see? And maybe you're here and it's more drastic for you than that. Maybe you're saying, you know, I'm here, but truth is I don't really even believe in God. I just believe in the material world that we can see, you know. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you to think about this. I wanna give you a quote from an author named Glenn Scrivener and uh, just let you think about it. He said this, he said, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Materialists, believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. So maybe you could think about that. And then I have a second question. I wonder if, if there is part of you that, that you know, feels like maybe there's more to the world than, than we can see. Maybe you know, in your, your gut, you just sense that the world is bigger and stranger and more wonderful than we know. What if that isn't just wishful thinking? What if that instinct is pointing to something that's real? And even scientifically, you know this, right? If you know some things about science, the universe turns out to be way weirder than just what our common sense would tell us. You know, black holes and quantum mechanics, dark matter, on and on and on. Why shouldn't the spiritual world be a little bit like that too? 
And then the third question, if, if you don't know yet what you think about Jesus, then I wanna suggest you just don't worry about angels figuring them out. Just set that aside until you deal with the big question. Figure out what you think about the fact that Jesus who's born at Christmas is gonna grow up and he's gonna claim to be God. I mean, that's a huge claim, right? Was Jesus out of his mind? Was he a con man? Was he just lying or was it actually true? See, figure out what you would think about the fact that hundreds of people said that they saw Jesus alive after they saw him tortured to death by Roman soldiers. Were all of those people hallucinating? Were all of those people lying? And if you think they were, why would they lie about something that risked persecution and even even death? See, my suggestion is you figure out the the big questions about Jesus and then maybe later come back and decide what you think about angels because if you come to the conclusion that Jesus is God and that Jesus did rise from the dead, then listening to his story and what he says about angels really is pretty straightforward, right? Maybe right now you're still saying, no, I don't believe in the whole angel thing and I don't, I don't think your questions really matter. Well, here's what you can do while I preach the rest of this sermon, okay? You can spend the time trying to understand the point of view of someone who thinks differently than you do. And I think that's a healthy habit for all of us, always, right? So let's, let's jump into Luke 2, and we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to read these verses, and then we're going to talk about what they say to us. Luke writes in verse 1, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told him about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
And this is the word of the Lord today for us Southwinds. All God's people say, amen. Amen. Three questions this morning about angels. First is really simple, why angels? Why angels? There's this this odd dynamic with angels in the Bible. And on the one hand, angels are like all over the place. There are some 400 mentions of angels in the Bible. They, They show up in 17 Old Testament books, 17 New Testament books, 34 of the 66 books in the Bible. But at the same time, they're never the focus. They're never the main characters in a story. The Bible tells us on the one hand there are millions of angels, but it only tells us two of their names. And there is no Bible chapter or book anywhere that says, let me explain angels to you. So angels are always present, they're always assumed, but they're never explained. One of the implications of this is that we're actually not to be preoccupied with angels It's fine to be curious about them, want to know know, some more things about them, but angels should never become a focus of our spiritual life. And sometimes in the Bible, people get too fixated on angels. Every time this happens, the Bible says, put your focus back on God, put your focus back on Jesus. But it's still a fact, they are real, angels are active. Maybe you can think about angels in general this way. You ever see a picture of a world leader, like at a world summit of some kind. It's the president or the prime minister, king or queen, and, and, and there's a lot of people all around them in the background. And when you look at the picture, you know right away who the world leader is. But you, you look at all the other people and you wonder, like, who are they and why are they there? You can always assume that just because they're with this world leader that they must be important in some way, Right? Tourists don't, you know, just sneak into the Oval Office to uh, look over the shoulder of the president when he signs a bill, right? Um, You know, they don't photobomb the King of England when he's in Buckingham Palace. And so it's like if you're in the picture, then you probably have an important job. You probably have some authority to get some things done, but hardly anyone knows who, you know, the fourth staffer from the right is. That's what angels are like in the Bible. They're present, but they're never the focus. They're active, they're always in the background. They've got power, but they never call attention to themselves. And before I get into what angels actually do, I think it'll be helpful to clear up some common misconceptions about angels. I wanna show you five common myths that people believe about angels. Number one, that angels have wings and halos. Now, it may surprise some of you to learn this, but the Bible never actually describes angels as having wings. A few times there are these spiritual creatures called the seraphim that are in heaven or the cherubim, and they, they, they are described as having wings. But what is really interesting is that those creatures are never referred to specifically as angels. They may be another kind of a spiritual species, another kind of heavenly creature, or maybe this is just their appearance when they're, they're in heaven. But when angels show up on earth, the Bible always describes them as, as looking like human beings. And so much so, if you notice this, people interact with angels and they don't know. They, they don't know that they are actually angels because they look like people. Now, halos is, is real easy. Halos, halos just come from early Christian artists who were 
trying to convey the spiritual in a visual way. And they actually, we know this, they just borrowed imagery from Greek and Roman ancient culture that depicted light behind someone's head as a way of, of showing that this was supernatural or spiritual in some way. It's just a visual device. Second myth, angels look like women or babies. Now, Important thing to know here is angels are spiritual creatures, so they don't have physical bodies. And we don't know for sure, but that probably means they don't really have anything like we would know as gender. Uh, In the Bible, when angels appear as human beings, they do always appear as male. And so you you can't really think of it this way. And then this thing about babies, that's kind of the goofiest actual belief about angels, And I don't know if you know who's actually to blame for this. I can tell you, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Yes, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Actually, it was the Renaissance artists by those names. And they were drawing on classical Greek and Roman art. And for some reason, they decided to use some mythological images of babies with wings and put them on the Sistine Chapel. And so we're kind of stuck with that. But this is really weird because if you actually read what the Bible says about angels, you would never picture them as cute or cuddly or, or harmless And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know every single Sunday, and today's the same thing, we read a passage and and an angel shows up and terrifies someone, right? I mean, in this story this morning, verse nine says, the shepherds were terrified. And in Greek, literally, it says they feared a great fear. If you wanna really remember it, the word translated great here is mega. We get our word mega from this Greek word. And so it's this mega fear, it's this huge fear. And this is what happens almost every time in the Bible when someone encounters an angel, the first thing the angel has to say is, do not be afraid. Why? Because angels are scary. <laughs> I mean, if you're in the presence of an angel, you realize you're, you're in front of someone who could destroy you. And it's terrifying. There's nothing cute or cuddly about these creatures. Third, myth is everyone has a guardian angel. Now the Bible does say clearly angels protect God's people from the forces of evil. But, but this idea that everyone has like an individual guardian angel assigned to them is not in the Bible. Maybe, maybe you could think about it like this. We have a lot of uh, first responders in our church. There's a lot of um, officers uh, of some kind in the room right now. And it would be right to say that the police are here to protect us and keep us safe. But that isn't the same thing as saying I have a personal bodyguard, right? Makes sense? See, angels protect us, but that doesn't mean that we each have our own individual guardian angel. Sounds like a great idea, but it's actually not in the Bible. And let me just add one more thing. This is in my notes. Every once in a while, I give you something extra for free, all right? You're welcome. Um, If this disappoints you to hear that you don't have a guardian angel, just think about what you're thinking. do you still have Jesus who's always with you and will never leave you or forsake you? Does your heavenly father know the hairs on your head and and watches you over you every day? Why are you worried about an angel, right? Can we all just say amen Amen. and move on to number four? Uh, Myth number four, people become angels when they die. Okay, 
This one's kind of dumb, and I'm sorry if you've said that before, but it is kind of dumb. Humans and angels are different kinds of creatures. They're created separately. In fact, the Bible says in the world to come that Christ's followers will actually outrank angels. We will rule over and judge angels. We're not gonna become angels. Number five, uh, angels are eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing beings, uh, this one usually comes up when, when talking about demons because people are wondering if demons know, you know what I'm thinking, if, if they can do anything they want to. But the Bible is really clear about this. Again, angels are limited. They are created, both the good and the evil variety. They are not all powerful. They don't know many things. They are creatures just like you and me. So those are the myths. But what is the reality of angels. Why angels? Well, maybe the simplest way to think about them is they are like God's staff team. God is a king. They are his administration carrying out his plans. And we see several different uh, specific ways this plays out in the Bible. Let me give those to you. The first one is that angels are God's counsel. Every once in a while, the, the Bible gives us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven and, and we see God like this ancient king surrounded by his royal court, his servants, his ministers. And in these scenes, God will, will often bring a plan uh, to the court that he has decided to do and he'll ask a question like, who will go for us? He'll, he'll say, who will carry out this plan? And, and, and when you read that in the Bible, you've seen that a couple of times, haven't you? Uh, whenever God says, who will go for us? He's speaking uh, that to his heavenly court. And in those scenes, the council members will offer proposals, sometimes ideas, and then God decides and God commands. So it's God's counsel. Second, angels are God's entourage. Entourage. Have you ever noticed how, how celebrities are always surrounded by other people. They have these bodyguards and, and they have managers. They have people who run their lives for them. They have people who just hang around, you know, to tell them how amazing and, and fascinating they are. So why do celebrities always travel with an entourage? Well, they're always sending the message. I'm an important person. And, and because I'm important, there's always this, this crowd that's surrounding me. And that's how it was with royalty in ancient times. The larger and more impressive your entourage, the more glory and more power that you had. And, and so God, even though he doesn't need our worship, as the universe's king, as the very Lord of lords, he's just surrounded by this entourage of, of incredible, awesome, glorious angels who are always praising him and displaying how exalted and amazing and magnificent that he is. And just think about what this is telling us. You know, we, I've told you before that angels are these astounding, amazing, they're beautiful, glorious, powerful kinds of, of creatures. And if this kind of creature, this kind of beautiful, glorious, powerful, uh, spiritual creature, uh, the kind of creature that we would immediately fall down in their presence and try to worship them. If these creatures are in awe and amazement of God, then how awesome and beautiful and glorious must our God be? See, that's the picture that angels are designed to tell us. Third, angels are God's army. 
Now, we, we know, we don't have a lot of detail, but we know in the distant past, uh, some of the angels rebelled against God. We, we call them demons. And, and since that time, the remaining loyal angels have been fighting the, a war against these rebels. This is what the Bible means when it talks about the heavenly host. The, the word host is an ancient word for army. And so when the Bible calls God the Lord of hosts, it's saying he's commander in chief of the armies of heaven, the angel armies. Last, and most importantly for today, angels are God's messengers. Uh, messenger is what the word angel uh, actually means in both Greek and Hebrew. And this is the most common job that angels have uh, in the Bible. God sends them to someone to announce something to them, which, which might you know, sound really simple, like kind of a supernatural UPS or you know, email before email. But it's actually so much more profound than that. And that leads us to our second question. What are angels telling us? And I hope you will hear this. This is maybe the most important thing I can tell you today, and I'm gonna help unpack it, but here, here it is. When an angel shows up somewhere, they are shattering illusions and revealing reality. Angels appear, and they just pull back the curtain, and they say to the people who hear them, you may think that this is what is going on, but let me tell you, show you what is really happening here. If I could sum it up, I put it like this. The angels tell us the true story of the world. And that's exactly what is going on in Luke 2. The angels that go to the shepherds are showing the shepherds that all is not as it appears to be. So to really understand the message the angels brought the shepherds, you have to first understand what's happening in the first verses of Luke 2. And it's actually the history part that some of you don't really want to bother with. You know, the, the whole name and date and time kind of part of stuff. A lot of us just blow past it. It's the part that says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And, and then Luke goes on and talks about this guy named Quirinius and all, all sorts of stuff. And, and you may read this and go, okay, I'm gonna get past that and get to the good stuff because I'm here you know, for the baby. But what is all that? Maybe you read that and think, well, I, I think it's just an explanation for why Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem so that the prophecy about the Messiah could actually be fulfilled. But it is more than just meaningless historical details. This is actually the story the angels were confronting. All this stuff about Rome, this was the story that people in that day were being told about how the world works. They were told this is how the world works. Roman conquered the known world. Caesar at that time was the most powerful person who'd ever lived. And Luke tells us to prove it, Caesar ordered every one of the millions of people in his empire to relocate to a different city just so he could count them and tax them and take their money. See, the Roman Empire and Caesar Augustus were the defining reality for everyone back then. And Rome wanted people to believe that and to believe that that was good news for them. I actually want to read you a, a Greek inscription that was found um, 
in Western Turkey, what we know today as Western Turkey, part of the Roman Empire back then. It was written about Caesar Augustus, probably about 9 BC, just a few years before Luke 2 takes place. And here's a picture of the tablet that contains the inscription. And what's written here is a little wordy, but I'm gonna try to highlight the important parts as I read it, because I think you're gonna find this really fascinating. Here's what it says. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, that Caesar, whom she, providence, filled with virtue, that he, Caesar, might benefit humankind, sending him, listen to this, as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. You see, Caesar made the claim that, that he had brought peace on earth. And maybe you heard about this in history class. You heard me talk about it. I've referred to it sometimes. He, we know about something that's called the, the Pax Romana. Kind of, kind of sounds something like you'd order at Olive Garden. You know, I'll have the Pax Romana with a Caesar salad on the side, you know. And does that still come with the, the free breadsticks and circuses? Um, thank you very much. It goes on, and since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. In other words, Caesar's the goat, and there'll never be another. <laughs> and since the birthday the god Augustus, sometimes Caesar was actually called the son of God, was the beginning of good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. And good tidings, the, the Greek word here is the word translated gospel or good news in the Bible. Caesar's birthday, they're saying, was a gospel. It was good news for the world. Therefore, proconsul uh, Paul Fabius Maximus has discovered a way to honor Augustus, namely to reckon time from the date of his nativity. Therefore, the Greeks in Asia, and this is what we know as Turkey, decreed that the new year begin for all cities on September 23rd, which is the birthday of Augustus. Now, the people in this region had decided they were gonna reset their calendars to begin with Caesar's birth. And this is the myth. This is the myth. Caesar thinks he's the defining reality of the world. And he's the one who's gonna reshape nations and change history and, and even, even uh, change time itself. It's gonna revolve around him. That's the story that Rome kept saying. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Now, with that as a backdrop... I want you to listen again to the message of the angels. Luke 2, 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. 
And then if you skip down to verse 14, the angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth comes from this line. The angels, do you see it? They are revealing reality. They are saying that Rome's story is a false story. Let us tell you the true story of the world, the story where you find true hope and true joy, where, where true glory comes from. I just want to ask you this. Have you ever thought about this? You should think about this often. How many, how many false stories do you hear every day? Are you aware of them? Every day, we hear the celebrity story. Look at these people. This is what true success, true happiness looks like. Don't you want to be like them? There is the, the romance story that we hear, your soulmate, they're out there somewhere, some, somewhere and, and you're never gonna find fulfillment in life until you find them. And I wanna tell you as a pastor, I have watched so many people wreck their lives and destroy their kids because they believe that story. And then there's the social media story. <laughs> Everybody has a better life than you. There's the politics story says whoever wins the election is gonna run the world and if we get the wrong person in office, everything will fall apart. There's the cable news story. The world's a mess and you should be angry about it. Watch us and so you can get angrier than you already are. Keep watching, we're gonna tell you about it. There's the advertising story that we hear. You're just one purchase, just one purchase away from fulfillment. And then we hear the religious story, which says if you do what you're told, if you keep all the rules, then God will be happy with you and he will make sure your life turns out just the way that you want it. Do you see? Our world is so full of false stories. But the angels show up and what they do is they just cut through all of that. They say to these shepherds, let me tell you, let me tell you where true power and true glory and true joy are found. It is not with the people at the top. It is not with the people the world says has it all together that are important. Look at Mary and Joseph. Look at what's happening in Bethlehem. See, it's upside down to what our world tells us. See, we imagine the scene in Bethlehem as a, a peaceful one because we've seen it so many times on Christmas cards and on people's front lawns and we're just so familiar with it. I don't think we really pay attention to it but it, if we had nothing more to go on than just the first seven verses of Luke 2, we would not see this as a peaceful thing. We would see it as a tragedy. Think about it. Who are Mary and Joseph? They are an impoverished couple uh, who have been they're displaced from their home. They're like refugees. They're, they're victims. They're nobodies being pushed around by forces beyond their control. But the angels say, no, that's not the true story. The angels make it clear here. Here is where true glory, true power are found and it is with the nobodies. The message of the angels is that the kingdom of God goes through the people the world thinks are unimportant this is actually a theme all throughout Jesus' teaching. Blessed, he says, are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters who don't have food or clothing or a home, he says, you do this for me. This is why Christ followers from the beginning have been concerned 
to care for the needs of people that are helpless, the needs of children, the needs of the hungry, justice for the poor. We do this because we believe the reality that the angels revealed that the kingdom of God, it shows up not with the first, but with the last and with the least in the world's eyes. That's one of the reasons why Every year, our Christmas offering that we give you an opportunity to contribute to, it is focused on helping people who are in need. See, we, we, we look at the world and we say, because of Jesus' birth, we have to serve, we have to love, we have to give to the people that Jesus came to be with. I mean, I want you to just think about it in this way. If this story in Luke 2 occurred in our day, where would we find Mary and Joseph would we find him at a food pantry, at a crisis pregnancy center seeking a f- safe place to live? See, we would find him in some place that is not glamorous, not some place we want to be. And this is why we meet needs. And, and it just fits in with the message the angels brought that God's kingdom comes for the powerless, the forgotten, the underdogs. Now, that's an encouraging thought. It's heartwarming to think about. But the question is, well, how do we know that that is true? How can we know that we can actually believe that? And I think it's because of the next thing that the angels are telling us. Second, the angels are telling us that the true king of the angels comes for people wherever they are. See, when the angels announced that a savior had been born, where do you think the shepherds imagined they would see the savior? Well, I can guarantee you it was not where they found him. Verse 12 says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And again, again, we are so familiar with this story. I, I, I think we don't understand anymore. We forget how strange it really is. What an odd place, right, for a king to be found. A king is gonna be born in a manger, surrounded by animals. It is so strange. And, and I, I kind of wonder when God said to the angels, Here's what I want you to say when you go to the shepherds. I wonder if the angels said, what? Really? He's gonna be where? And and then when the shepherds, when they hear this, what did they think? I mean, it couldn't have been what they expected. But as it turns out, it was exactly what they needed to hear and it's actually exactly what we need to hear. See, I know right now some of you you feel a lot like Mary and Joseph would have in that point in time. You, you feel a lot like the shepherds. Life has not turned out the way you expected, the way you hoped. Life has actually, for you, turned out to be hard and, and painful in so many ways. And maybe like Mary and Joseph, your, your family is messy, messy and it's complicated, it's painful. Or maybe like, like Mary, your life is got some embarrassing details and people are always asking questions. You feel like people are always looking at you. You feel like people are always judging you. Maybe for you, money is tight. Maybe for you, your future is uncertain. You don't have a good job right now. Maybe you're just afraid of what what the future holds. Sometimes you find yourself wondering if God really cares about you. And then someone comes and says something like, don't be afraid. 
there's actually good news. There's actually a, a savior and he brings peace to everyone that God shows favor to. And maybe you hear that. Maybe you've heard it today. Even when I read it from the word of God a while ago and you say to yourself, I would love to believe that that means me. But it doesn't feel like it. But here's what the entire Christmas story is telling you. That's true. That is the true story of the world. The true king of the angels. He comes for you wherever you are. Wherever you are. If you can, imagine being with the shepherds when they got to the manger. Imagine being there right in front of the manger and and you're there and you're looking at this baby and you still have the sound of the song of the angels ringing in your ears and you're, you're looking down at this baby and you see him and you know, for some reason, you know this is him. He's the one This is the Savior. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for all this time. This is the King of the angels lying here in a feeding trough for animals. That's his throne. And when you see this and you get this, you have to ask yourself why. Why would God do it this way? You have to ask, what does this story tell us about God, about who God really is? Not what you think he's like, not your imaginations about him. What does this story tell you about what God feels about you in particular? And I can just tell you, it tells you God is not distant. God is near God is near to you in your pain. He he is not far from our suffering. The Bible, the word of God, Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And so if you're here and you're hurting today, God is near. And that's the message of Christmas. You see, the true story of the world is that God is not like Caesar, the emperor, the most important person in the world, sitting high on his throne, far, far away from the world's pain, waiting there in the comfort of heaven for us to figure it all out. That's not God. Instead, God is saying, I have come for you. I will draw near. God is saying, I know that you cannot find your way up to me, so I'm going to come down and find you. I will get close to you when you can never get close to me on your own. And if the king is in the manger, that means that he would go to any length to rescue us because it means that he loves us more than we could possibly ever imagine. It means... You don't have to be afraid. There's something in A Charlie Brown Christmas that most people miss. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but it's actually really, really cool. When, when Linus um, is up on the stage, and you know Linus, of course, he never lets go of that security blanket. He always has, has it with him. When he is reciting the Christmas story, at the precise moment he quotes the angels saying, fear not, he drops his blanket. And he continues to recite 
the rest of the story, that blanket laying there beside him while he finishes. Because God, because God has come for us in Jesus, because God has drawn near, I'm telling you today, whatever you're afraid of, you do not need to be afraid. God is near. He has come for you. And that is really good news for all the people. Amen? What does that mean for us? How do we respond? That's the third question, very quickly. What do, what do the angels call us to do? And if I give you an overall answer, I would say it like this. The angels call us to join in their joy. To join in their joy. And that's what they announce, right? So how can we do that? Well, we see several different ways that the people in this story originally respond. Let me point them out to you. The first one is they investigate. Uh, Verse 15, it says, the shepherds hear this message and and what do they immediately do? It says, they say to one another, we have to go to Bethlehem. We have to see this thing that's happened, what the Lord has told us about. And see, they have seen something so astounding, something that if it's true, well, it, it changes everything. And so they do what's reasonable, what any reasonable person would do. They go and they investigate. They say, let's see if it's actually true. Some of you today, you are right here at this point in your your spiritual journey. You've heard the message of Jesus. You understand it enough to find yourself thinking, you know, there's something about that that just speaks to me. There's, there's something in me that would like that to be true. There's, there's something in me that's drawing me to that. You're, you're at the place, here's what I'm telling you, where you have to make a choice. Will you actually get closer? Will you investigate to try to see what all of this means? Say, so what's your next step? I just wanna challenge you on this and, and I'll start really practically. Have you ever read one of the biographies of Jesus? We call them the Gospels. There's four of them in the Bible. My challenge specifically would be in the next couple of weeks during this holiday season that, that you would give some time to read through one of the Gospels. Read Luke, this Gospel that we've been studying and talking about over these last weeks. Investigate, see what God would show you, or, or maybe you've never really prayed before. What if during this week, between now and Christmas, which happens a week from today, what if you say, you know what, I'm gonna pray for five or 10 minutes every day, and I'm just gonna ask God my questions, and then I'm gonna be quiet, and I'm gonna listen and see what God says. Like, God, if you're there, I just wanna know you. Will you, will you help me with what I'm struggling with? Um, next month, in the new year, in January, I'm gonna be starting a, a, a life group with, with people who don't know Jesus, but they wanna learn about Jesus. We're not sure about the exact date and time yet, but I, I wanna open this up. If you're interested, would you email me? Would you tell me you'd like to be part of that? And we're gonna get some people together. We're gonna to figure out a time and, and just study God's word. We're gonna see what God teaches us. There's a second way we can respond to the angel's joy, join in that joy, and that is to meditate. Verse 18 says that those who heard the message were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. In verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And this is for those of you who know about Jesus and you know Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time and, and maybe you've been coming to church for years and so Christmas 
it's kind of for you starting to feel like a, a rerun. Like it's a good episode, but you kind of know how it turns out. Here's a question. What will you do in the next week or so to not let this season kind of just float by you and skim, you skim over the surface? Will you actually take some time to do what Mary did to treasure the coming of Jesus in your heart? See, I would highly recommend that over the course of the, the week or two that's ahead of us that you just say, I'm just gonna sit with God's word. Maybe just read over the next few days the first two chapters of Luke or maybe just read also the first two chapters of Matthew and just focus on some phrases in the Christmas story and think about them and, and talk to God about them. Maybe say glory to God. I mean, what, would, what is that telling me? What would it be like to see God's glory? And, and God, why are you... Why are you so deserving of, of glory? And, and then peace on earth. What, why is that so important? And how do you bring that peace? And you just ponder and you just meditate. See, I want to encourage you. Don't just entertain yourself over the holidays. And then the third response is communicate. In verse 17, it says, when the shepherds saw Jesus, they, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And I just want to ask you, if you know Jesus, will you do that? Will you tell someone you know about what Jesus has done for you? And, and I know whenever we talk about sharing our faith, it gets really awkward. Everybody feels uncomfortable. But, but I want to encourage you to think for a moment within the frame of this story uh, from a different perspective. And that's the perspective of the angels. I want you to imagine that this is the very first Christmas Eve, not Christmas, but Christmas Eve. And, and up in heaven, God has, has gathered all the angels around his throne. And God speaks and says, I have an announcement to make. You have heard me say again and again that one day a Savior will come. Well, the time has finally come. The Savior, the Messiah, my son, will be born. And one of you, millions of angels, is going to be the very first one to announce his birth. Now, if you're one of those angels, what are you thinking in that moment? You're wondering, who's it gonna be? I mean, who's he gonna pick? Will he pick me? Could I be the one who, 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 who does this? I would love to be the one who gets chosen to do that. I mean, think about it. It's like the assignment of, of an angel lifetime, which is kind of close to eternity as far as we know. You can't get any higher than that, right? And the moment when God actually picks someone in, in that crowd of angels and says, you, can you imagine what that angel felt, what that angel thought, the joy, the thrill, the privilege of actually getting to do this? That angel would not have said, oh man, do I have to? All right. Like, you know, one of your kids, when you tell them a chore they gotta do, no, that angel is thinking, what an honor. What a privilege. And then the shepherds, when they saw Jesus, when, they, when they, they heard the message instinctively, do you see how they respond? They didn't even think about it. They just knew this is the best news ever. It was a privilege to share it. And this is the same privilege. Do you see? Do you understand? The same privilege that you and I have. We have all the time. We get to tell people about Jesus. That was a really good place for an amen, and you guys blew it. I'm gonna give you another shot, okay, before we leave, but you, you missed that one. We have a privilege, amen? Yeah. Good job. 
So who in your life needs to hear that message? This would be a great time. People are open at Christmas like, like almost no other time of year. Maybe it was as simple as saying to someone, maybe just call them up this afternoon. You see someone you know, at work in your neighborhood this week and say, hey, you know, I would love to invite you to come and join me at one of our Christmas Eve services. They're always really beautiful. They're always really meaningful. And the pastor never preaches nearly as long as he does on Sundays. It's really great. You can invite someone. There's one other reaction that people have to the message of the angels. And it's a response that I want to call elevate. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds went away glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. And and so that's actually how we're going to end our, our service today. We're going to sing one final song. It's fittingly, Angels we have heard on high, and it's a very familiar song. You, you probably know it well. Um, but if you've heard the song before, it, it may be that you don't actually know what that chorus means uh, because the chorus is actually in Latin, and, and it, it goes, Gloria in excelsis Deo. And I don't know, maybe when you were a kid, you wondered why Gloria got a song or, or why are we singing about Chelsea and what's a Deo? How come Chelsea gets the Deo and I, 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 how come I don't have a Deo? Maybe you didn't understand but those words simply mean glory to God in the highest. The exact same words the angels announced to the shepherds in this passage. You see, the story of Christmas, the true story of the world, is that God came to live with us in the lowest place. And so, therefore, he is worthy of our praise in the highest place. This is the word of the Lord for us Southwinds today. Would you affirm that by saying amen? Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, it is um, an incredible thing that you have given us this message that does bring great joy to all people. And so God, um, we pray that you would just give us hearts to respond the way the shepherds did, the way that Mary did, that we would be thrilled uh, by this news, that, that we would get close and investigate so that we could share it with others, that we would meditate and ponder in our hearts, God. And, and Lord, we pray that all of this would, would draw from us and others worship, that we would give you the glory that you deserve. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people together say, amen.